Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're at lesson 10 now in our study of the message of Hebrews. This week's is titled, Jesus Opens the Way Through the Veil. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that's a lot of sanctuary imagery there, the veil and what it involves. And we're actually going to see a lot of Old Testament ceremonial symbology, if you will, symbolism fulfilled in Christ this week and what it means for us today. So I'm right. excited about that. Um, so Pastor Howard, I don't think we have any other um, housekeeping items to address today, anything that we need to deal with. So I think we can go right, right on into in. our lesson. So why don't you give us a word of prayer to start Let's us off? pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would guide our study of your word. We pray that you would be with each one of our Sabbath school classes, Lord, around this world, those who are watching now, those teachers and students as they're preparing. And we just pray that you would guide their their understanding in a, in a personal and practical way, uh, that this may be a blessing to all who hear and study this topic. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, our memory verse this week comes from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Would you be so kind? I'm not going to put you on the spot and say have it memorized, but could you read for us this no. passage? It's kind of the central piece. Of I hate that at. reading the passage, though. You know, I, ha- I have this. It is this, irksome. Uh, yeah. Accepting for the fact that we record these way before. Right. So I have not set myself. But if one to were to spend a full week of studying, this. exactly, you would expect memorization. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. This is one that I have. Look at look at this guy on the I, spot. I got it at least. <laughs> like I do it. I, I honestly, and when I'm teaching Sabbath school, I'll always give it an attempt. And I think it's helpful, especially when I don't have it memorized, just to say, you know, I don't always remember to memorize it, but at least I am giving the effort. And that's what I want is I want to encourage our classes. It's like everybody doesn't have to be an expert on this, but we've got to get away from reading the memory. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know what? Anytime we go and do a teaching like that... um, Usually, there's someone who has memorized it. Yes, and I and I, I want to affirm those who do take the time to, to re- put that to memory. But anyway, it talks about the entering of Christ into the holy places, heavenly yes. places, right? Not made with hands. Um, and in, in the end of Sabbath afternoon's lesson, there in paragraph two, it says the ascension of Jesus to heaven is central to the theology of Hebrews. Now, I want to p- pause right there. That really does encompass where we're going in the lesson this week. This, because you could say it's all about Jesus being in heaven or before mm-hmm. the presence of God, or, but it's really talking specifically about his finishing the work here and transitioning into heaven and yes. bursting through what would otherwise have been completely off limits to humanity. And it gives us access in a new way. So the ascension of Jesus. Essentially, well, you add to that where it says in Hebrews chapter eight, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Mm. So there needed to be this next, as you said, this transition step was the clear, logical, and typological mm-hmm. you know, yeah. progression of his ministry. Exactly true. Well, Sabbath afternoon continues, it is our privilege now to approach God with confidence through Jesus and the merits of his righteousness. So not mm-hmm. only what Jesus did, but what it means for us is the burden of our topic this week. All right. What are our talking points? Talking point number one, Israel's feasts outline the sequence of Christ's work. And that's taken entirely from okay, Sunday's now, lesson. You, it's interesting. You say the 
you don't say outline point forward to Christ's work, but you actually say outline the sequence of. Yes. He's like, so that's, we'll get into that. Yeah, but the sequence mm-hmm. is actually a really important thing in that issue. So that's talking point number so one. not just the reality of Christ's work, but even how it lays out. Yeah, it's, it's stunning if you've never studied it out before. Okay. Talking point number two, Jesus is our veil before the Father. And that's the bulk of this week's lesson. It comes from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Touch on that particular point. And finally, talking point number three, because of Jesus, we can stand before God face to face. And it's a beautiful promise, and it's all the focus of Thursday's lesson. All right. So let's, let's go back into this Israel's feast business. <clears throat> now, I say Israel's feast because clearly these are not feasts that were set up in Eden. But they're part of the redemption plan, right? Just like That's the sanctuary right. itself and the idea of the sacrifices and ceremonies. These feasts, and they're found in Leviticus chapter 23. So if I were teaching the Sabbath, now what I'm doing here is talking to teachers. Now you're going to teach it in different ways and you're going to come at it with a different angle. That's fine. But if I were to be a local church Sabbath school leader this week, I would look at Leviticus 23 and you don't have to read it exhaustively. But you can help people see this basic chronology, the basic sequence of these feasts. Because starting Leviticus chapter 23, it says in verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. And then it talks about the seventh day Sabbath is kind of the quintessential one, the only one established at Eden. But then starting in verse 4, it walks through Israel's annual feasts where they were supposed to appear before the Lord. And Mark, could you just very quickly, without going through, could you walk us through in order? What are these feasts? He's like, okay, read this, but don't start out on a sermon on no, it. No, no, exactly. I'm saying just kind of tell people if they've never heard before, what are these okay, feasts in Okay, Leviticus 23, verse 4, these are the feasts of the Lord, uh, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month, at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have no, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. That would be called a feast Sabbath. But you shall offer an offering made to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. So the first and the last day of the feast are feast Sabbaths, holy convocations, rest days. Verse 9, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, that would be the feast Sabbath. Yeah, the Sabbath just we just mentioned before. The priest yeah. shall wave it. So he's starting to walk through chronologically the 14th day, the 15th day. Here would be the 16th day. Uh, of the same and it's month. interesting because remember back in verse 4 it said, which you shall proclaim at their appointed time. So it's not just like, here's some feasts and you guys schedule it whenever it works for you. That's right. It's very sequential in its, in its outline. Did you want to go ahead? And, <laughs> I mean, there's so much to say about this, but why don't you talk, you were kind of walking well, through. Well, the very sequential, like you said, and they're sequential in their outline. What's fascinating is, of course, we've talked typology before. Like you have... You know, the type and anti-type. This, the mm-hmm. earthly sacrifices point forward to Jesus' heavenly, you know, G- Jesus' sacrifice, and then the earthly priesthood to Jesus' heavenly priesthood, and we've talked about this. But the sequence of events, as you had mentioned before, the Passover on the 14th day of the first, like you said, mm-hmm. every year 
they would the, the Israelites would celebrate the Passover, and that Passover lamb would die mm-hmm. on the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight. It wouldn't die on the thirteenth day or mm-hmm. the twelfth day or the eighteenth day. Incredibly it specific. It was this specific time yeah. for over a thousand years they mm-hmm. were doing this. And so then when you come to the year 31 AD, Jesus Christ dies on the 14th on day yeah. of the first month at twilight. Mm-hmm. And of course, the veil in the temple is torn and just all Which the Which applies to our like, Sabbath school lesson. Why so is in other words, God had them go through this very specifically on this exact same day every time because he knew the time would come. You know, it's interesting when you go to the New Testament and the Apostle Paul's preaching in the New Testament and he's preaching Christ. And a lot of people don't realize it, that he preached, he would preach Christ from the prophecies, mm-hmm. we say. But where? These are those prophecies. This, these yeah. were the things, like to be able to show that Jesus died right on time, just mm-hmm. when it said. And then and then you have the Sabbath rest to follow. Right. Which so is in the sequence we just read, you have the Passover lamb uh, slain on the 14th day. On the very next day, the 15th day, it was, a, it was a feast Sabbath. It was a rest day. And it began the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Feast of Weeks. And then on the very next day, the 16th day, the wave sheaf was waved before the Lord as a first fruit offering mm-hmm. to God. And you've got in the notes here that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 calls Jesus our, our Passover. Passover. Yep. And in 1 Corinthians 15, when talking about the resurrection, calls Christ's resurrection the first fruits offering. That's right. So in other words, the very day the Passover lamb died for all those years, Jesus died. Right. The day he rested in the tomb was a rest day in the feast. The day that the wave sheaf was year after year for over a millennia, mm-hmm. a millennium mm-hmm. and, and, and more, that wave sheaf was waved and as that first fruits offering, and on the 16th day, that Sunday yeah. of the resurrection, Jesus, like everything happened just like that. And then to add to the, to, to the, like the plot <clears throat> thicken, if you will, you know, you have Passover and unleavened bread, mm-hmm. which the 14th, 15th day, then the 16th yes. day is the first fruits, right? Then the next one is, interestingly enough, the next feast is just called the Feast of Weeks. Yes. It's just, an, it, it could be an otherwise. <laughs> arbitrary time, yeah. just like count off. But there's a seven reason. Weeks. Seven full weeks, which would be 49 days, and then right. on the 50th day, then you'll have the next one, which is called the Feast of Weeks, or in the New Testament they were calling it Pentecost, Pentecost. because 50. of 50 days, mm-hmm. right? So this one has no significance outside of a marker in time, and you count mm-hmm. off from the previous feast, now count off those 50 days, and then you have the next feast, which of course Well, finds- <clears throat> there was a, a, a level of significance in that the first fruits feast mm-hmm. was the first of the harvest, mm-hmm. and after fifty days came more harvest. Well, fair enough, fair enough. And so, but that was, but that's yeah. to the local Israelite economy. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about is spiritually. What would be the significance of this time? But when you go to Acts chapter one and two, mm-hmm. you start to see. Well, Jesus, after his resurrection as the first that's fruits. Right. The scripture says he's spent 40 days with his disciples, mm-hmm. t- telling them about the kingdom of God. And then he says, I have to go. And he says, but you wait here for not many days. This is all in That's Acts right. chapter 1. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit we poured out. And then when the day of Pentecost had fully come, which is 50 days, exactly what they had so expected happened. Yes. So you have Passover, unleavened bread. You have the Feast of first fruits, Then you have the Feast of Weeks. All of them pointing not just generically to good things Jesus would do, right. 
but specifically in order, mm-hmm. in chronological sequence, the steps of Christ's ministry. And all perfectly meet their fulfillment in the New Testament church. Exactly right. And so that brings us to the point of, like, what does that have to do with going in the veil, right? The, the, the yes. Behind the veil. Well, the point is that as Jesus fulfilled his sinless life and sacrifice and then resurrected and then ascended into heaven, he goes into heaven with that completed ministry, with that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it is finished in arm. And he goes into heaven. And I want to make a plug right now. If you've never read the closing pages of The Desire of Ages, you got to read it. When it talks about when she's, uh, where Christ ascends to our, my father and your mm-hmm. father, you know, and he bursts into heaven. Right. But he can't be celebrated yet because the father has to accept his sacrifice, you know. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted exactly. up, ye everlasting doors. Glory will come in, you know. The psalmist is quoted in the... It's incredible. Entrance of Christ into glory, yes. It's absolutely breathtaking. I've preached a sermon on that several times, and I've never once not cried. Mm-hmm. I've never once gotten through the end of that drive. Because here Christ comes back, and he's wounded, but he's victorious, and the Father embraces mm-hmm. him and says, Well done. Mm-hmm. And now the whole New Testament era can be launched because of Christ's mm-hmm. victory. It's incredible. Yes. And when Christ went into heaven, it's it wasn't apart from us in the sense, I mean, geographically, but spiritually, he takes us with it. That's the whole point of this lesson well, one is of that the we have a representative. Well, one of the things you're heading into here is we, we went through this, you know, Passover lamb and the uh, first fruits offering mm-hmm. and the Feast of Weeks, but that was only half the, the of the annual feast. Yes. And so those what, are the spring what ones, you're right? going to is that those feasts pointed to real events in the earthly ministry of Christ, mm-hmm. but now he transitions and the feasts also foretold that. Yes, they do. In so fact, that complete picture is not complete until that's right. we, we have this, this heavenly ministry. We have the six feasts of Israel. The first three were the spring ones, which represented Christ's earthly ministry and then transitioned to the heavenly. And then the last three, the Feast of Trumpets, which is always a warning before judgment, right? Yep. And then you have the Day of Atonement, which by the way, is exactly where we're living in the sequence of redemption history right now. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles, when all will be done and Christ will gather his elect together and God himself, as scripture says, will tabernacle with his people, right? right? And so we are, st- people ask us, why don't we keep the feasts? Well, clearly Christ has past tense fulfilled right. a majority of them. He's present tense in the midst of the one, the Day of Atonement, and soon and very soon we're going to see our king again. So That's we're right. keeping them in the genuine sense of their ongoing and um, happening right now. That's exactly right. Anyway, but we got to move on to talking point number two. But if I were to have a school teacher, I would take some time and outline that to see where Christ is now. But now, talking point number two, Jesus is our veil before the Father. Now, in these feasts of the Lord, the purpose of them, God had said originally, was that the people may appear before me. Right, The male of every household represented there, and the mm-hmm. people would representatively stand before God. Well, all throughout the Old Testament history, though, we see that there's a tension between this closeness that God wants to have with his people and the sinfulness of the people being... Um, poisonous Mm -hmm. to an encounter with God. So God wants to be close, but you can't get too close because so he sets up the role of the mediator. Right. There's a system of partitions. You have the mediating Mm -hmm. priest and high priest. You have the, in fact, even the layout of the, even the layout of the camp, the lesson brings this out that all the tents would be 
a good half mile buffer of just mm -hmm. open space, right? And then around the tabernacle is where the Levites would camp, pitch their tents. And then before you get to the courtyard, there's a veil. And then from the courtyard to the holy place of the veil. And then from the, in between the holy and the most holy, there's a veil. And that's where the immediate presence of God would dwell. So the people, while they would have God close in a sense, were still uh, separated by necessity from the very destructive presence of God. And so Christ, however, according destructive to... Destructive in the sense that According to Hebrews ten twenty nine, our God is a consuming fire. That's right. Not that God's angry, throwing temper tantrums. Well, not only no, that, but, but not only do we have the spiritual, oh, our God is a consuming fire, we have the historical reference of Nadab and Abihu, mm -hmm. who went in, in their, um, you know, inebriated, drunken, careless way, just barged on into the very presence of God. And the scripture says the Lord broke out against them. Like, mm -hmm. he, he couldn't, those two things couldn't mm -hmm. match. And in a very real sense, since they came in without a burnt offering, they became their own burnt offering, right? And and it's, it's a fascinating history. And the Lord puts up all these things that you can't just come in before me, even though I'd love to be close. This is, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. But Christ in his person takes on that responsibility of being our intermediator. Inter mm -hmm. Mediator. He's, he's our, our priest. He's our intercessor. He is the veil itself. Well, and I think that's, that's an important point to emphasize because prior to saying that, we could be building a great case for Catholicism. Mm. You know, you've got all those, why all the saints? Why all the, you know, all right. the intermediaries? <laughs> so there was a need for the intermediary level of whether, you know, be the veils or mm -hmm. you know, the priesthood. Uh, but all of that was pointing forward to, in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one mediator between yes. God and man, the man Christ yes. Jesus, not multiple mediators, not multiple levels. So true. And, you know, what have you. So well, and that's, you're getting into a little well, Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, because that's exactly where Paul's point is here. If you were to verses 19 through 22... He speaks to this very point, Hebrews 10, uh, 19 to 22. Hebrews 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Talk goes on to talk about letting our hold the fast the confidence of our hope. So in this context of having a high priest, and because Jesus has consecrated this way, and Paul specifically says, through the veil, that is his flesh, we can draw near. Mm -hmm. And now it's interesting, in Scripture, like I think of Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse how we see through uh, we can see dimly now, yes. but we can behold the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So he is that filter, if you will, that takes the destructive out, but the redemptive remains. Well, you have the reference here in the passage, which I you know comes to mind when I read this. Uh, it's interesting uh, when Paul says that he has consecrated this way through the veil, that is his flesh. Well, how is his flesh a veil? Well, we mm -hmm. know that he... Jesus, in his humanity, his humanity veiled mm -hmm. the glory of God. And we see a very direct representation of that. And you've got the reference in the note in John chapter 1, where mm -hmm. the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's talking about Christ. 
But then he comes to verse 14 and he says, And the word was made flesh mm-hmm. and dwelt among us. And if anybody's done some study on that word, that word dwelt, it literally means tabernacle, pitched his tent. And so John uses imagery to talk about the humanity of Christ. He actually uses the Old Testament sanctuary imagery that just as God's presence was within the sanctuary, but it was veiled Mm -hmm. by those layers and what have you, Jesus coming into our humanity had all the glory of God, but it was veiled. And that's what John says in the rest of the verse, mm-hmm. where he says... We beheld his glory. The glory right. is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he pitched his tent, but then we beheld his glory, this uh, this glory of God that was veiled in the person of Jesus Christ, in his humanity, in his flesh. And so right. you see that connection with Paul's point. In and, and what's fascinating is that works, of course, that's how the, I mean, the logistics of the incarnation even though we can't wrap our minds around it, somehow the fullness of the Godhead was incarnate bodily and mm. we beheld his glory through the character right. of Christ. But now that same Christ has literally transitioned back up into heaven. So we have a direct connection between this world and the next in the person of Jesus Christ. Thus, the quarterly brings out uh, on paragraph one of Wednesday where... <clears throat> commenting on Hebrews 10's new and living way, which he consecrated for us, Mm -hmm. his flesh. They say the expression new and living contrasts with the description of the old covenant as obsolete and growing Mm -hmm. old. So there was nothing wrong with the types and shadows in themselves, but they weren't the fulfillment. But now Christ embodies that very representation. Also, even in the context, Paul's talking about the the old covenant system, verse 8. Uh, of chapter 10, previously mm-hmm. saying, sacrifice and offering, burn offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire. Mm-hmm. In other words, the way to approach God was through death. Mm. And so the new and living way, like here's an idea, behold, I've come to do thy will, O God. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus consecrates this new and living way that is through living obedience to God, mm. not just sacrificing of the dead animals to God. So well, thus it says, the, he takes away the first that he may establish the second. Right. Like, so there's nothing wrong with the symbols, but now that we have Christ, we can have a whole new rich living experience. And it makes me think of when Paul, you know, in Romans chapter 12, says to present yourselves as living, living sac- sacrifices to God. That's, this is the concept here. Mm-hmm. Well, our, Same apostle, by the way. If you hearken back to our first, this first is where it's lesson, helpful yeah. to know that Paul's the author of Hebrews, and you say the same author <laughs> talked about that new and living way in Romans 12. You know, and I thought about that too whenever we're looking at, like, you know, the Passover and unleavened bread. You know, as Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 5, or as Paul talked about in 1 <laughs> right. Corinthians 15, or here, as Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 3. That's right. This is one thought line that's running through this New Testament author. Mm-hmm. But let's go to talking point number three. Yes. What's the practical application? Because of Jesus, we can stand before God face to face. That's right. Let us draw near with a full, a true heart and full assurance of faith. In fact, now that we're quoting scripture, let's go to chapter 12 of verses 18 through 24. And it, it builds on that same idea if you want to read that for us, please. Sure. Chapter 12, verse 18, for you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the voice of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it should be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. 
But you have come to Mount Zion in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, uh, etc. How far do you want me to go? Well, basically, the contrast there, verses 18 through 21, we're talking about the Old Testament, when they had the opportunity to stand before God, they were terrified. It was scary. Right. They needed an intercessor. They begged Moses mm -hmm. to put a veil over, right? Mm -hmm. But now he says, but you, in contrast, have come to the mountain, to the Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, right. to the heavenly Jerusalem. And it talks about how we can have full access to the very throne room of the living God now through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, the, you know, if you don't have the teacher's edition, which it's fine, you don't, but it's free online. You can check it mm -hmm. out. But you would on miss the app. it. Free yeah, on the, the app. It also has it on the app, right? There's a phrase in verses, uh, in verse 23, it says, speaking of this very heart of heaven here, where we can have access in Jesus, says, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the meteor of new covenant, and to the mm -hmm. blood. It goes on and on. But it uses this phrase, the spirit, the spirit of, of just men made perfect. And apparently in broader Christendom, there's confusion about what that could mean. Mm -hmm. And what I found particularly interesting is if you had your... Yeah, who are these spirits of right. just men? And in the teacher's edition, part two is commentary starting on page 132. And it goes 133, 134, and into 135. All of the commentary of the entire week's lesson focuses on that one phrase mm. and it, what it truly means. And um, Well, we've talked about how what, one thing that's pretty obvious in the book of Hebrews from the Apostles' argumentation is the thing about Christ's ministry that's so great, the better yes. covenant, the better promises, is that he was able to perfect the conscience of the worshiper, to mm -hmm. perfect the believer who came to versus the versus all the things that can't, that can't bring, right. make a person perfect, right? And, and here so we have the yes. reference again to perfect. Perfect, right? Made perfect. What does it mean, right? Well, in the teacher's edition, page 135, why don't you read what the, the yes, commenters the, have the said there. The spirits of the righteous made perfect are human beings whose names have been registered in heaven. Through faith, the addressees of Hebrews approach God, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable angels, and these human beings who have been made perfect by faith and whose names are recorded in heaven. This passage should be understood as an exhortation to believers similar to the author's exhortation to his audience when he says, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness. Which really goes to the point that wh why are we even talking about Christ giving us access to heaven, the veil that mm -hmm. is his flesh? Why is that such a radical thought? Because in contrast with all those other sacrifices and the other priesthood and the old sanctuary on earth, yes. they can't, as Hebrews has repeatedly said, make those who approach perfect. Right. But now things are different. That's right. Now we have Jesus. Now we have direct Amen. access. We have humanity tied to divinity in a way that was never existed before. And so when we approach through faith, it's not just you know, in a hope and a promise that maybe it could, if it, this mm. is a living way, a, 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 a dynamic experience with the living Jesus. That's right. It's, and thus you've quoted first John chapter three, verses two and three, beloved, we are now, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as mm -hmm. he is. And everyone who has this hope in him 
purifies himself just as he is pure. That we're going to see God That's right. face to face and we That's have right. the opportunity through Jesus to develop that character even now that can stand in that company of angels. Amen. So why don't you, uh, well, I'll, I'll read here at the end yes. of the of Friday's lesson. It's from Acts of Apostles 38 and 46. Mm -hmm. We read these powerful words. Christ's ascension to heaven was the signal that his followers were to receive the promised blessing. For this, they were to wait before they entered upon their work. When Christ passed within the heavenly gates, he was enthroned amidst the adoration of the angels. As soon as this ceremony was completed, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples in rich currents, and Christ was indeed glorified, even with the glory with which he had had with the Father from all eternity. The Pentecostal outpouring was heaven's communication that the Redeemer's inauguration was accomplished. Brought into close communion with Christ, they sat with him in heavenly places. Amen. That experience can be ours today. Amen. What a wonderful lesson. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you for the scripture it's based on. And we thank you most importantly for Jesus, who is our intercessor and our brother in heavenly places. Lord, help us to never take that for granted, but help us to take full advantage of his intercessory role in our lives that we may, by your grace, become like him. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.